0: Genesis chapter 3, we'll look at verses 6 through 8 this morning. Uh, this morning we are going to see the first people who tried to hide from God. But before we even look at that, I, I want to I hear another story uh, in the Bible where man tries to hide from God. And then I want you to hear the effects of that story. Because what happens in Genesis 3 is going to continue to happen throughout the Bible, throughout the church, and even today. And so I want to give you this story in, in Joshua chapter 7. You can, you can be in Genesis 3. I'm just going to tell you the story in Joshua chapter 7. Chapter Seven that takes place where man tries to hide from God and it doesn't work out well for him or anyone else around him. In Joshua Chapter Seven, uh, Israel is is in a place where they've moved out of oppression and they're flourishing as a country. Uh, Joshua was their leader and and uh, they were commanded then to go back to some of the people that had put them under tremendous persecution and oppression. And one of them was a smaller country named. A-I is how it's literally spelled. And God God tells Joshua to go and attack A-I. And at this point, Israel was a much stronger nation than A-I. It would have been like the equivalent of uh, the, the New England Patriots to go and play J.H. Royce High School. I mean, it was supposed to be an easy victory for them. And what happens is, Israel goes to Ai to to uh, get revenge. And then as they go, they're in the battle. And immediately, God's people, the Israelites, they lose 36 men right out of the bat, killing no one from Ai. And so they go, what's happening? This is not right. This is like the equivalent, again, New England Patriots, J. High School, J. High School is up at the half. They're going, What's going on here? So they all flee and they flee from A and they go back to uh, their, their, their land and they here they are trying to figure out what happened. But if you read back in Joshua chapter 6, you'll see about a man whose name is Achan, and Achan took something that God told him not to take. It was called the devoted thing. We don't know what it was, but what happened is he took this devoted thing and he hid it in his tent where his family would eat, sleep, where his family would pray, where they would do life together. He hid it underneath all the things that he was familiar with in his home. And God tells the Israelites, okay, something's wrong because we lost against Ai," and they cast lots, which is sort of like rolling a dice, and God would sovereignly use that to bring out people who were in sin, and what happened is the lot falls on Achan. So the Israelites go into his tent, and they search his tent, and they find this devoted thing that God commanded the Israelites not to touch, and then what happens is, God blames Achan because he took the devoted thing that he was not allowed to take and he hid it from God and God's people. What happened was God commanded him and his entire family to be stoned and everything that they owned was to be destroyed. And then they were buried in this place and the place that they were buried in was called later by the Israelites the Valley of Trouble. Now I tell you that story because it's interesting what you have is a man who thinks, I'm going to take this devoted thing and it's not going to be a big deal. It's not going, to, not going to hurt anybody. It's just going to be between me and God. No one else is going to be affected. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is when we hide things from God and from others, it absolutely affects not just us, but everything else around us. Are you tracking with that? Because Adam and Eve were the first people to begin this process of what it means to hide from God. But imagine Achan's thought process over this hidden sin. He ate over this hidden sin. He slept, he prayed over the thing that was beneath. And this thing that was beneath that he hid from God would eventually destroy his entire family. And so because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, I want to tell you this morning that it is our nature to hide. It's our tendency to do what they did. It's our tendency to do what Achan did. So today I want us to see this in the text so that we can know how to avoid it. But also I want you to see that the gospel is the only way that we can avoid attempting to hide from God. So in Genesis 3, this is what we have. We have this familiar story God made male and female in his image, and he placed them in a garden where everything they needed was provided for them. However, God put one tree in the garden, a tree of knowledge and good and evil, and they were commanded not to eat of that tree. And if you've, even if you've never been to church in your whole life, but today, you're probably familiar with the story. Adam and Eve both eat of the tree, but let's see what happens in verse 6 beginning in chapter 3, verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, we looked at this last week. Uh, Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Adam knew exactly what was happening. He sinned willingly. She was deceived by the serpent. Both of them are responsible. In fact, when the Apostle Paul talks about the curse of sin, he actually blames both Adam and Eve, but he actually starts with blaming Adam because Adam was responsible for fighting against the serpent's lies um, and disobeying God. But if you go down to verse 7, this is what happens next. But uh, then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, what does this mean? They knew that they were naked. It seems pretty obvious. I don't have clothes on. I'm naked, right? What does it mean that Adam and Eve, what it means is that Adam and Eve had fallen from the pinnacle of innocence and intimacy with God. Now, because of sin, they are flooded with guilt, shame, and fear. So what do they do? They try to cover themselves. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to cover yourself quickly and frantically. This is what they did. My um, older brother, Randy, when he was a teenager, he was walking. We had this long hall uh, on on the second story of our house, and the bathroom was in the hall, and and to walk to your room, you had to walk past other rooms to get to uh, your room. And so um, my brother, he was walking out of the bathroom, and, and evidently he forgot his towel, so he had no clothes on, He's walking down the hall, and he's passing by my mother's room to get to his room. And if you want to guess what happens next, a door opens, and it's my mother who walks out on my naked brother walking down the hall. And as he sees her, every teenage boy does not want to be seen naked like, Mom, you don't want to see it, right? Right? And so he's walking, and he screams and panics and starts looking for something to cover. And the only thing that he could find was our family cat that was beside my mother's room, so he grabs the cat and puts the cat in front of him to guard him so that my mom doesn't see him in his birthday suit, all right? So that's what happened in the Tugwell household. Adam and Eve did almost the exact same thing. They did what they could not to get caught. They quickly ran from cover. They used fig leaves. Interesting, fig leaves are itchy and somewhat prickly. To use this for cover wouldn't make sense, but it shows how desperate they were to hide. What was difficult now, though, is because of their sin. You see, Satan told them Only a half-truth. He said that they would not surely die as God promised, and they did not die that day as they supposed they might. Adam actually lived um, 930 years, but he did eventually die. But here's what it means when he says, you will surely die if you eat of this tree. Death is really, what what died was their, their constant communion with God. That's what died. Their eyes were opened because they realized that evil brings death. They realized they were no longer, as it says in Genesis 2, very good. Remember how chapter 2 ended. It ended with the very last verse. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now they have sinned and they stood naked, yet ashamed. Theologian Henry Blotcher explains it this way. He says, In the Bible, death is not the reverse of life. It is not the reverse of, or death is the reverse of life. It is not the reverse of existence. To die does not mean to cease to be, but in biblical terms, it means cut off from the land of the living. It is a diminished existence, but nevertheless an existence. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They died in the sense of their relationship with God. Their innocence was gone. They went from having only pure thoughts to having impure thoughts. They went from being people who were sharing to be people who were greedy. They went from worshiping God to being idolaters. And now what would happen is they would have to labor to love God and love each other. But notice what else happens in verse 8. When they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that kind of an eerie sight? They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in, of the garden. Now, we have to understand something to understand the weight of this text. We have to understand what it means to to be in the presence of God. I want you to know this morning that God is everywhere. He is in everywhere in creation. He is omnipresent. Uh, The theological term is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. However, the Garden of Eden was a special place for God's presence on earth. Later on in the Old Testament, his presence would reside in the temple and in the tabernacle. And and even Moses writes here in in verse 24 of chapter 3 that when Adam and Eve were eventually cast out of the garden, he placed a, a cherubim, angels were placed at the entrance to prevent anyone from going in because no longer man could enter into the presence of God. And later, as the tabernacle was built and the temple was built, statues of cherubim were placed outside side of the holiest place inside the temple to show that no man is holy enough to enter God's presence. And this is an interesting side note, by the way, in Revelation 21 and 22, when they talk about the new heavens and the new earth, great text to go and read later on, the Garden of Eden is just a picture of what's to come in the new heavens and the earth, and new earth. Because we will always be in the presence of God in the way Adam and Eve were in the presence of God in the garden. And so when God is walking in the cool of the garden, this isn't anything new for Adam and Eve. They would have heard the sound of his footsteps. They would have heard the sound of his voice. And this voice used to bring them joy. They used to love hearing his footsteps come near to them now. It's not a sound of joy. It's a sound of dread. And it's a sound that brought fear. And so, as a result, we see one of the dumbest scenes in the Bible. They hide in the trees, silly, like children. Every day, by the way, when I get home, I, um, about once a week, my youngest loves to hide from me. And it's the same routine every time, same routine. I talked to Jess and I talked to Finn and where's Gideon? Oh, and they say he went to college. Alright, he's five years old. He went to college. I'm like, he went to college already? Oh man, you know what I'm gonna have to do? I'm gonna have to give away his Legos. And then as soon as I hear that, I hear like a hoo-hoo! That's sort their of laughter, right? <laughs> oh, he's not gonna want this drum set anymore. I'll probably just sell this on, on, on Craigslist. He's like, he starts laughing. And then I hear the laughter and I start telling more and more things and listening more and more things I'm gonna give away. And then I see this little lump in the, on the bed. And I'll say, oh, I'll just have to sit down on this bed. I'm just going to miss Gideon. I'm going to lay down on this bed. What is this under me? This is a rock. And he starts laughing and squealing. And, it's Gideon. You didn't go to college, right? It's the same thing every, every week, same routine. Adam and Eve were worse than that. I'm going to hide from God. Imagine their thought process. He'll never find us in the trees. I know he spoke all that's in existence, into existence by one word, but I'll hide in the trees. Surely he won't find us there. This seems absurd, does it not? But it's what we do every single day. It's what we do all the time. How do we do this? What are our fig leaves? What are the ways that we are ironically trying to hide from God. One thing we, we start, we are not always honest about our sin. We often will rationalize what we did. Maybe we say things like, yeah, I made a mistake, and I'm a good person. I'm just not as bad as such and such. At least I'm not as bad as such and such. Or maybe we just don't think about it. Maybe you push it out of your thought process altogether. Maybe you aren't continually running to others, and more importantly, you're not running to God for help, and you're trying to fix it on your own. That's your way of hiding in the trees. That's your way of putting on fig leaves. Maybe you even make up your own fig leaves. We're desperate to try to cover up who we really are, and there's one fig leaf that many people in the South typically run, and that's religious activity. Religious activity, I believe, is one of the biggest fig leaves in eastern North Carolina. People love to cover themselves up by using the right churchy terms and practices. Everyone in Greenville, if you talk to them, I'm a Christian, I was baptized, I prayed a prayer, there's no real life change, there's no real repentance, and the church becomes a hiding place for a lot of people who don't get the gospel. And the church becomes a really bad fig leaf and the church wasn't meant to be a fig leaf. This is why legalism is so dangerous. People who are legalistic, they run to the leaders to tell them what to do so they don't have to answer to God so they make make themselves answer to the leader who sets the precedence of what the godly person is for them. That way they can become a different person without really running to Christ. And I find that the most more legalistic people are the more they are trying to hide. Legalism can be a fig leaf. It's what we try to do to cover up who we really are. It's a way that we try to look spiritual on the outside when, in the inside, we're a total mess. And this way that people would le- this is why with people with legalistic backgrounds, they always find a place where they fall deep into sin, but it doesn't work. Here's why it doesn't work: it's a fig leaf. The church was not designed to be a fig leaf. The church was designed for the people of God to gather and to be honest and to be transparent and to be welcoming and be loving and serving and forgiving and sharpening one another. And it breaks my heart, friends, Integrity Church, it breaks my heart when people miss that. Being a believer over, for over 20 years of my life, I've seen this happen multiple times in the church, and perhaps you have too. You see the nice family, they're coming together and they're worshiping and they're serving together. They're attending church and everything seems fine and so happy on the outside. But then out of nowhere, you find out that the dad has an affair with the secretary and he's running off and he's leaving his family behind. And you just go, what happened? They seem so nice. They seem so in love. They seem so together. It didn't happen overnight. It happened by smaller fig leaves and bigger fig leaves. It happened with the downward progression of sin. It happened because he had an issue with porn that he never told anyone about. It happened because he would continue to let his eyes wander and never confess it. It happened when he uh, didn't set up boundaries with him and the opposite sex. He would text whatever female that he knew or email them or talk to them on social media inappropriately. It happened when he would flirt and set up a private email so he wouldn't get caught. This happened Fig leaf after fig leaf after fig leaf. And this is why it makes me so sad to see the body of Christ that you often hear about someone's house when it's burnt to the ground, but you rarely hear about someone's house when it's on fire. And that's not the gospel. The church was not made to be a fig leaf. The church was not made to be a place that we hide. It's a place that we're supposed to be free. And so every time I meet with a couple... And do premarital counseling for them before they do their wedding. I typically, typically go to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's a very interesting book. And in this place in, in chapter 2, you have this bride. who She's a soon-to-be bride, and she's freaking out about the wedding. I know none of you ladies know anything about that. But she's asking her soon-to-be hub, husband. I almost said hubby. Um, <laughs> soon-to-be husband to awaken love, and she wants to make sure that she knows her husband and that he knows her. And this is what she says. I love this. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyard for our vineyards are in blossom. She says, let's catch the foxes together. What are the foxes? She's trying to communicate a culture of confession. Little foxes in that culture would come in quietly into a vineyard and they would wreak havoc on on the vineyard, but they wouldn't just tear it all to pieces. They would actually just go in subtly and suck the moisture from the vine. And you wouldn't know it until later when it was supposed to bloom and it was supposed to produce that it was dead. And it would happen slowly and over time, destroy the vineyard. And she's saying, we got to go after those things. We got to make sure there's no little foxes in our life. And so I tell every married couple that's about to get married, look, you have no secrets before you get married. You better lay it all out. You better confess what's going on in your life, what's happened in your past. Your sexual history needs to be talked about. Your addictions need to be talked about. Your struggles need to be talked about. The abuse that you've gone through in your life needs to be talked about, needs to be fleshed out. You guys need to talk through these things. And, and let me tell you this. You will be surprised how many people go into marriage and they have no clue who the other person is. They've never gone after little foxes. They've never gone after big foxes. They've never gone after anything. And so I asked them, are there any little foxes in your life? Why? Because there should be no secrets. People who live in secrets can't get healthy and they will never inevitably they will fall into more sin. And so here at Integrity, we want to foster a community that is okay to confess sin and we can walk through you, through, walk it, walk with you through it. We want to fight through sin with you. We want to walk through anything with you, and we can't do that if we're hiding. We can't do that if we're lying. This is why we say it over and over again in integrity. Liars don't have real friends, because here's the thing about liars. People will only love the false image that you portray to be rather than you really are. But let me tell you the beauty of the gospel. That's who we are without the gospel. Who we are without the gospel are our first parents, Adam and Eve. Who we are without the gospel are people who are constantly adding fig leaves to our lives so no one knows the real us. But here's the gospel. The gospel calls us to repentance. Repentance is not a negative connotation if you want to stay in your sin, but if you want to be free, repentance is a beautiful thing because here's the thing. People who repent are typically loved in a real way, because no longer you're receiving false intimacy from others by walking in secrets. Rather, you are actually loved for who you are. You are loved by God in spite of you. And that is a beautiful thing. And this is why gospel-centered community is so important. And this is what it's all about. Freedom, rest in the darkness, not, or in the light, not in the darkness. You can't have freedom when your life is covered in fig leaves. Fig leaves are ridiculous. And here's the irony about fig leaves, they actually don't cover up anything. They just hurt us more in the end. And the the irony of Adam and Eve is they didn't realize how much they were actually known by God. David captures this idea in Psalm 138, or 39 rather, and I'll just read it. I want you to know this morning that no matter what fig leaves we try to add to our life, we are absolutely known by a sovereign God. Psalm 139, verse 1, it says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and what? Known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You reach out my path at my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, you know it altogether. You hem me in. Behind me, and before me, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is another word for hell, you are there. Integrity Church, I want to tell you this morning, you are known and we have nothing to hide from God. He sees everything. He knows everything. And Adam and Eve's problem and their experience is they they did not understand fully the presence of God. Even though they saw his face, they heard his footsteps, they heard his voice, uh, they, they believed that they could hide something from God. Why? Because sin made them believe that. Sin made them believe that even though they heard God's voice and heard the sound of his footsteps, that they could somehow hide from him. But even in this story, we get a picture of the gospel itself. Here's the picture of the gospel. Adam and Eve, our first parents, hid. But who's the one who sought them? God. We hide. He seeks Sin brings shame into our life. Sin says, Don't allow others to see the real you. They won't love you. They won't think you have what it takes. Sin says, Don't let God see the real you. He won't love you. He won't accept you. So hide the real you. And this is when shame ruins our lives. It rules us, and fear rules us. But here's the beauty of the gospel. We hide, but he seeks. The gospel intersects our lives. The gospel says, You didn't choose him, but he chose you. You were brought out of shame when God looked at you and said, You are mine. Then he took our nakedness and our shame and he clothed us in his own righteousness. His righteousness is his sinless life and sacrificial death on the cross when he died in our place. And so here's the beauty of knowing Christ. You don't have to hide. You can't actually hide because he won't let you hide. If you can hide long, you need to actually wonder if you are truly a believer Because Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers ever, calls the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. He's always pursuing you. He's always chasing you. He's always bringing you out of that place where you're trying to hide. The writer of Hebrews says it better better when he says it in Hebrews 13, verse 20. He says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from, from the dead of our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, he says, He equips you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Here's what that means. Because he sought you and bought you, the Holy Spirit is constantly working in your heart and equipping you to live out the gospel. This is a thing called perseverance of the saints. It's a gift to every one of you. Every one of us who believe. And so part of knowing the gospel is living in a culture of confession, not a culture of hiding. This is why John says it this way in 1 John chapter 1. He says in verse 5, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness of all, at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, while we're hidden, We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See what he just did there? If you're hiding, um, it's going to destroy you. If you're in the light, if you're repentant, he says you have fellowship, better fellowship with other believers. And not only that, but you realize his blood covers your sin. Then he says it in verse 8. If you say that you have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, don't walk around lying. That's his saying. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, here's the goodness of God. If you walk out of the hiding place and you, you allow God to see you as you really are. This is what he's saying. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and what? Just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, it doesn't matter what you did. doesn't matter what you're hiding. He's faithful and just to forgive you. And he's just to forgive you because of what Christ has done on the cross. And then verse 10, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And the word is not in us. If we are okay with hiding, he's saying, you don't understand the gospel. So this morning, my questions are really simple. What are your fig leaves? What are you trying to cover up? What are you hiding in your life? Where do you need to take steps to to make a, a confession of your sin? May we know the gospel is sufficient to help us this morning. May we know that the blood of Jesus, as John says, the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all of our sins this morning. So this morning, as we respond, as the band will lead us through song in just a moment, as we have a, have a chance to take the Lord's Supper, this is a beautiful time for us to be honest with God on what our fig leaves are and what we're trying to hide from God. And maybe this is our time that we even can talk to other believers and say, brother, sister, this is what's going on in my life I need help walking through this. I need help confessing this with others. Maybe this is this is a chance this morning that we would do this. So my, my hope is I'm going to pray. And as we pray, ask the Lord, show me what my fig leaves are. Show me what I'm, where I'm trying to hide in the trees. Let us do that now. Let's pray.